The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from the bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts it for silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. God, we thank you for your word, story of your grace. Channa Walt describes her vivid memory. She says, I was little, maybe six or seven, and it was bedtime, and I was deploying my best bedtime delay tactics for you. As parents, you know which child is the best at that. It's our third in our family. Uh, Best delay tactics. I needed water, then I needed a Band-Aid, then I needed to be tucked in and my covers adjusted, And I needed mom to check under the bed. I think I had a lot of other demands too that I don't remember, she says. And then this part is vivid. I remember I asked my mom, Mom, how do you have the answers and the solutions for everything? And she was on her way out the door and she said, Oh, 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 honey, I don't have the answers to everything. And Chana says this, I stayed up for hours after that. It was a deeply unsettling thought. 
when all kids, including myself, eventually learn that the adults in our lives don't have the answers to everything. So I ask the question, when have you found yourself deeply unsettled with the thought that someone or something that you thought was all-knowing or all-powerful was unable or insufficient to give you what you wanted or what you needed? Who was that someone? Was it a happily ever after spouse that you would have perfect children with? Or was it the recognition or the praise of a parent that you never received or that pay raise from a superior that you never got? Maybe, maybe it wasn't a someone that you were looking for. Maybe it was a something, that perfect dream house, that getaway from here vacation that diet or that supplement or that counseling technique that would change things for you forever. And then, like Chana, you became unsettled when that someone or that something couldn't do for you what you thought they could, like give you all of the answers or save you from your circumstances or from your suffering. And so you're left then tossing and turning in your bed, racking your brain to come up with another option which can save you, which can help you, which can hear you, which can heal you. The book of Isaiah, we've talked about from the beginning in the fall, is about a God who saves sinners. How does he save sinners? Through a chosen servant. That's the theme of Isaiah. A God who saves sinners through a chosen servant. In the first half of the book, chapters 1 through 39, which we've covered up until now, depicts a nation of people, God's people Israel, who have trusted in anything other than the Holy One, than God, to save them from their situation and from their suffering. But the second half of the book, where we're heading now, chapters 40 to 66, Describe the grace of a God who saves a people who tried to save themselves. Right now, in this passage, the people who are hearing this passage are God's people who are in exile in Babylon. They've been cast out from their familiar places, and they're now living among a foreign people and a foreign ruler. They have been robbed of everything that gave them comfort, they have been duped by a nation, Babylon, who promised to give them security and instead made them slaves. In the beginning of this chapter, as was talked about last week, it speaks of comfort to a people who are asking the question, would, God, would you want to save such a messed up people like we are? As they're sitting in exile, they're saying, God, do we even ask that you would want to come and help us? In the beginning of chapter 40 says, comfort my people, comfort, comfort, comfort. Yes, 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 I want to save you. Good news that I am coming to save you from the faraway place that your sin has taken you. Yes, I want to save you. I want to take care of you. I want to tend you. The end of that verse, the verse says in verse 11, I will tend you like a shepherd. I will gather you like lambs in my arms. yes. I want to save you. But starting in verse 12, where we are this morning, 
The question that the nation Israel is asking is different. It's not, do you want to save us? Those of us who are living in faraway places under the prideful power of sin are asking, sure, Lord, you may want to save us from the mess that we've made, but the question they're asking that 12 to 26 is going to answer this morning is, but can you save us? Are you able to save us? I'm not sure if you can. Can you really get us out of this mess that we've made? This is the question they're asking because Babylon is crazy powerful. Can you really save us? It's a question we all ask about God. Can you? Can he really save me? And it's actually a lie we can convince ourselves about God. I'm not sure he's able. So how does God, in Isaiah 40, verses 12 to 26, answer this question, can you really save us? He does what every seasoned counselor does. And I've done it and I know it drives you all crazy. He answers our question, can you save us, with a load of questions. Questions which prompt us to answer with this. God can do what no one and nothing else can. See in him no comparison. No comparison. God can do what no one and nothing else can. There's three comparisons that God asks in this passage to help us answer the question, can you save me? And the first is this. Compare me to all of creation and see no comparison. Look with me at the first few poetic questions asked in verses 12 to 13. Who has measured the waters? That's all of the waters, all of the waters you can imagine on the earth. Who has measured the oceans, the seas, the lakes, the rivers, the tributaries, the creeks in the palm of his hand? Who has marked off the heavens? That's the divider. That's the atmosphere between earth and the rest of the universe. Who has divided that huge, huge atmosphere with a span, which is a hand breadth? It's the length of someone's hand. Who has enclosed the dust, that's all of the loose ground on the earth, in a measure? That's like a third of a cup. Who has weighed the mountains, including Everest, in scales? Think your bathroom scale. Who has measured the hills in a balance? Think one of those old school scales with the two sides like Lady Justice holds in her hands. Who has measured the hills, every single rolling hill from lacrosse to the rest of this great nation, to the rest of the world? Who has measured that in the scale? And who has measured the Spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel or the best way of making all of this earth? All of these who questions are asked. And these who questions are asked, can you save us? These who questions are asked. These questions are, call them this, sounds like Dr. Seuss, they're humility questions. Humility. The Lord talks about measuring things like oceans, skies, mountains, hills, things that human beings can't measure fully, like he were making a batch of chocolate chip cookies. Did you know that over 80% of the ocean has never been explored by human beings? 80% of the oceans. And yet, 
the entire volumes of the ocean fits into the cup of God's hand. Can you save us, we ask? Can you do this, God responds. Can you do this? His questions, these rhetorical questions lead us to look at all of the creation that's created in his single hand and, include, and conclude, of course you can save us. Of course you can. You guys remember, this is a while back, I don't know how long, maybe 20 years ago, there was a Lifesaver commercial, Lifesavers commercial, where a father and son are sitting on a hillside and they're watching the sunset. It's this beautiful scene, a father arm around his son. And as soon as the last bit of light makes its way out, the dad's going, 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 gone. The little boy looks at his dad and he says, do it again, daddy. Do it again. If I were that dad, I would ask a humility question. I'd say, son, who did that? It wasn't me. Only God could do it again, son. And he does. He will tomorrow. He will do it again. Remember the lyrics of the song we sing regularly here at All Saints? Behold our God. Those are humility questions. Who has held the ocean in his hands? Not me. Who has numbered every grain of sand? Never me. Compared to all of creation, from Mount Everest Peak to the deepest ocean, to him and you, you will see there is no comparison between us and God. Verse 22 provides further perspective. It says, it is he who sits above the circle. And that's not meaning, we might think, oh, see, the Bible talks about the earth being spherical. That's, that's not what they're talking about. It's talking about a rooftop. He's like above the rooftop of the earth. And its inhabitants, everything inside, under that rooftop, are like grasshoppers. The Lord is a giant above all creation we are not just dwarves. We are teeny tiny, teeny tiny little insects. And can a giant save an ant from being stepped on? Well, see where he sits. Above it all. Of course. Of course he can. What can you questions are you asking in this, this season of your life today? Can you, Lord? What can you questions are you asking? Can you help me? Can you hear me? Can you heal me? What can you questions are you asking? And the Lord is asking you then to look at all of creation, even this morning, like we were sitting in a little snow globe that he's holding in his hands. Can you heal me, help me, hear me? Of course I can. Do you see how sizable I am? Look, friends, to all of creation as it snows. As you drive the hills and plains and mountains of our country. As you see great things. Any great thing you see pales in comparison with the greatness of our God. Can he hear you, heal you, help you? Look at creation and say, well of course he can. Of course. So then the Lord zooms the camera lenses in. And he asks with questions, he asks, I want you to compare me to any other nation, not just creation, but nation, and see no comparison. Look at verse 14. More humility questions. Whom did God consult with when making creation? Uh, no one. 
Who helped God understand how to put all the universe together? Uh, No one. Who taught God how to lead and rule over what he made, whether it be how to execute justice, being fair and impartial, how to have wisdom to know all of the facts, and how to wisely apply those facts to situations in life? Who taught God all of that? Uh, No one. There is no human ruler, there is no human nation who could compare to God. And there is no collection of humans, no collection at all of humans that could do that. Look at verses 15 to 16. The nations, that's the word goyim. We've talked about that before, but it's any nation that is outside of God's people. The nations are like a drop in the bucket. That's like that last drip of a leaking faucet that you've just turned off. Whoop. They are like a layer of dust on the way scale, which could easily just be blown off. Even the coastlands, those are nations that have control of trade and commerce, and they're in a really good advantageous position. Even those nations are like remnants, I'll say, of powdered sugar or ash to be just swept off the counter or the fireplace. You want to compare the nations to me? There you go. And he goes on to use an illustration. The nation of Lebanon... Lebanon in the scriptures is often seen as that place of incredible natural resources. It's a beautiful place. Okay? If you could compare it to like Yellowstone National Park or Alaska, that's Lebanon. Okay? Plenty of natural resources with thousands of acres of huge trees and tons of wildlife and bear. Yeah, lots of bear in those forests. What does he say about Lebanon? Burn all of those trees, it would not suffice for fuel. Nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. Think for a second of the forest fires which decimate a, a land. In comparison to God and his power, he is saying, it's like a match you can't get to light. Think of all the powerful, huge elk, ox, bear, deer, which roam Alaska. Compared to God, not enough to feed a hungry two-year-old. These rulers, these nations, verse 17 says, are as nothing before God. Less than nothing. And emptiness. It's the same words God uses to describe what the earth was, what creation was, before he spoke it into being. In the beginning, it was void. It was empty. It was less than nothing. Our nation, friends, where we live in this nation, is asking a lot of can you questions of anyone and everyone. Can you help us? Can you save us? Can you lead us? Our nation is asking that of a whole lot of people. But they're not asking God. Not asking God. What if we approached the upcoming election this country is going to be having next year with this mindset? That God gives us. What if whoever our next president will be, compared to God, is like a drop in a 10 million gallon pool of the Holy One's power? God wants us to make this comparison when we ask the question, who can help us? It's not the next this or that person in this or that position that can help us. 
It's not holding on to our country's pride as one of the most powerful nations in the world. No, it's holding all of the rulers and nations to the light of the Holy One's flame. And we don't hold a candle to him. He answers in verses 23 to 24 the question of rulers and nations in light of influence and time. He says, he brings princes to nothing. He makes rulers of the earth as emptiness, scarcely or hardly or not for very long are they planted, sown, and taken root before God blows on them and they wither and disappear. As much as you think this nation of the United States is here to stay, it isn't. What if the United States of America was uprooted in a matter of months? Who's going to save you? The military might of a dissolving nation or the proven might of the God of creation? Compare this nation, this place, to a God of grace he's asking and pleading us to do. No nation compares to him. The Lord finally, through the prophet Isaiah, he zooms in the camera all the way to 24 times and he closes in to respond to our question, can you save us, by asking this. Try to compare me to your wildest imagination, your wild imagination, and see no comparison. Look at verse 18. To whom then will you liken or try to represent me? Who will you try to make look like God? What likeness, what man-made creation will you try to compare with him? He says, an idol? The humility question is all about the people's tendency, our tendency, in making God way too small. Part of the reason we ask, can you save us? Is because our imaginations, our wild imaginations, have made God into someone far too weak and pathetic and scrawny. You represent me, God says in verses 19 to 20, with metal that's set by these human hands, layered with gold, painted by human hands, so that even the poorest guy who can't afford the metal or gold, he takes a piece of wood he found in the woods that's not rotten, gives it to a carpenter to cut the bottom so it stays standing up, and he says, this is our God. These are all little creations of our imagination that are dependent upon us. Can you help me? little piece of wood can you hear me little piece of wood can you heal me little piece of wood what what have your imaginations done to me he says and think of today modern day maybe idol that i've heard a lot about recently is ai right i mean i i've just noticed like i was writing an email to the church this week and I could hit smart AI and it could write the letter for me. And I'm like, oh, that sounds a lot better than I could do. <laughs> and I'm like, Bam, yeah. So we find like this AI and we're feeling like, oh, AI, can you help me? Can you hear me? Can you, can you heal this letter that I'm writing? Yeah, like AI has become that thing. Or Google, oh, I don't know. Let's, let's ask Google. Let's ask Google. That's what we do. Our imaginations. Try to figure this out by coming up with this other alternative and friends, when we attempt that, we have to ask the question, and I was asking my son this the other day. I said, buddy, I want you to think about, we don't have to be afraid of like, something like AI or, or those kinds of things, because I just imagine like for 30 days that we lost power. Like we didn't have any electricity. 
What's going to happen? There's no AI. Google's gone. We got nothing. We need to see these attempts at making God fit into our pocket or into our phone as laughable. Ridiculous. They are knick-knack knockoffs of God. Can they save you? No way. Even can your Christmas memorabilia save you? Your candles, your wooden cutouts, your crucifixes, your dusty family Bible sitting on the living room stand. Can that save you? As the Lord zooms in, he asks one final pleading question. Dust off that family Bible. Don't you know? Don't you hear? Don't you understand what it says on the first page? What does it say on the first line of that Bible? In the beginning, God. It is he who sits above the earth, who made the heavens, who spread out the earth. Verse 25, to whom shall you compare me that I should be like God? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created all of this. For the first time in this passage, with all these questions, God is seriously asking us to answer that question. Who created all of this? He's asking us to look for someone who will compare with him. And it's not a work of his creation. It's not a human ruler or nation. It's not a little idol cast from our imagination. Look for someone who will be God for your eyes to behold and see. Who is this, we ask. And Isaiah tells us. He who brings out their host. Out in full number. A host is an army. A nation. Military strength, who brings out their host in full number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not a single one of them is missing. The one who made all of these nations is the one who will call out by name all of these nations into his family so that not a one is missing from his roll call. That's who can compare to me, God says. And in John 10, the passage Jacqueline read, this morning, I believe, is to be one of those fulfillments of Isaiah 40, which promised at the end of verse 11 of Isaiah 40, he will gather the lambs in his arms. The one you could compare to God speaks in John 10 as he says this, and it's very eerily similar to Isaiah 40. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, And leads them out. The he announces that this shepherd will lay down his life for the army. For the sheep. Who is this he? Jesus says, I am. It's a name attributed to God. I am the good shepherd. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. We're on the same level. I know my own and my own know me. The question we ask, can God save us? Can you help me? Can you heal me? Can you hear me? It's answered in the one who made all of creation. The one who rules over all the nations. The one whose power can blow our wildest imaginations away. See him. God in human flesh and skin. Jesus Christ. See him. There is no comparison. Can God save us? See him. Lift up your eyes to see the manger. A God who is so powerful, 
made himself, contained himself in human skin in a manger as a king to say, here, I'm coming to save you. Lift up your eyes to the cross to see God, who Jesus said had the authority, has the authority to lay down his own life, lay down his life as a perfect offering for sin to save and heal his wandering, she- wandering sheep. Can you save us? See me. Lift up your eyes to see an empty tomb, to see God to be the only one with authority to take back up his life again. And with him, save every single sheep by name who believes in him through his resurrection. Who can compare to this God who sat outside of the bounds of time and space and creation to come down, to go through the heavens to earth to offer us such an amazing grace? There is no comparison. There is no comparison. Theodore Roosevelt said, Comparison is the thief of joy. And it's true. If you're comparing yourselves like Facebook does to all other parents or students or fashion models or whatever, if you're comparing yourself to all of them, yeah, yeah, you're going you're to fall miserably short. Comparison is the thief of joy. Unless you're comparing yourself to God. And you will find all the joy you can ever imagine or ask for when you see who he is. Because he loves you. Because he sent him to save you, to heal you, to hear you, to help you. His name is Jesus. In this Advent season, we get to prepare our hearts and our minds and our mouths for proclaiming and declaring and understanding what it is that him coming in human skin to save us means. I'll close with this. George Dillahunty, in a sermon on the incomparable Jesus, said this way better than I could. Jesus of Nazareth, without money and arms, conquered more millions than Alexander, Caesar, Napoleon combined. Without science and learning, He shed more light on things human and divine than any philosopher and scholar could combine. Without the eloquence of schools, he spoke words of life as were never spoken before or since and produced effects which lie beyond the reach of any orator or poet without writing a single line. Jesus has put more pens in motion and furnished more themes for sermons, orations, discussions, volumes, artwork, sweet songs of praise than the whole army of great men of ancient and modern times. Jesus was born in a manger and crucified as a criminal, now controls the destiny of the civilized world. There was never in this world a life so unpretending, so modest, and so lowly in its outward form, and yet producing such extraordinary effects upon all ages, nations, and classes of men and women. The chronicles of history will produce no other example of such complete and astonishing success. In spite of the absence of those material, social, literary, artistic powers and influences which are indispensable to success, For us men and women. Can you save us? 
God can do what nothing in creation, what no ruler or nation, what nothing in your wildest imagination can. See in Jesus, God of no comparison. Can he save you? He already has. Hear your name called wandering sheep. Hear your name spoken off of his lips. Lift up your eyes to see the salvation of our God and believe. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for an opportunity to hear you ask some important questions of us. I hope you've made us smaller today. I hope you've made our perspectives changed, that we might see you for who you are, see us for who we truly are. I confess we have gotten too big and made you too small. We thank you for Isaiah 40, which recalibrates us to see that things that we cannot measure ever are held in the hand of a measureless God. May we remember, Lord, the measure of your love which was poured out through the one who called us by name, Jesus, God in flesh, an immeasurable God measured by human skin. And may we find ourselves responding to that question, can you save us, with thank you for saving us. You can, you will, you have. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.